last week we started a brand new series on 10 values that build strong families. God wants strong families, strong relationships, not weak, broken, and fractured relationships. Today, we're going to look at the second commandment, because the first one last week, first series was based, uh, the first message was based, built on the first commandment. Today, we're going to look at the second commandment to build strong families. And I'd like you to help me <clears throat> as we read this first verse aloud together. Let's read it from Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 5. Let's read it. You shall not make any idols. You must never bow to an image or worship it in any way. Now, the second commandment essentially says two things. One, don't idolize anything, anybody, any position, any possession. Don't idolize anything. Two, it says, implied in that, worship God only. If we get that wrong, you're going to see there are some devastating consequences. An idol, by the way, is anything that takes your focus off God and puts it on to something else. Let me say that again. An idol is anything that takes your focus and your devotion off God and on to something else, even if it's good. Now, the Bible gives us a couple of principles. The first one is don't idolize anything. Only God is worthy of worship. Now, what does it mean to idolize? To idolize means to value, value something more than God. Now, what do you think some of the idols are today? What are some of those? Huh? Job? Your job absolutely can be an idol. Anything else? What else? Money? Sure. What else? Popularity. Man, big one. Yeah, some people park their idols in their garage. Some people dock them at Half Moon Bay or at a beach suns there. Some people put their idols in a little box which you need two keys to open at the bank. Now, it's interesting to me that through history, archaeologists tell us in every culture they have found man's evidence of man's desire and habit to turn things or people into idols, little statues, goddesses, whatever they may be. And God says, don't do that. Real clear. Now, there were three primary idols when Moses wrote these Ten Commandments. There were three. The first one is, was the god Baal. The way that's spelled is B-A-A-L, Baal. And he was a god of sex. So that was one of the gods that was around when Moses wrote this. The second one was the god of mammon. And we know where that comes from, right? That's a god of money. And the third one was the god Moloch. And Moloch was a god of violence. Three gods. Now, things don't change much. Historically, idols were typically made of wood or metal. Today, we have not metal images, but mental images. We have shrines in our homes in New Zealand, like the TV, or even outside the home in the mall, with the idols therein. And we don't so much worship the objects, 
but we do worship the images of success and popularity and wealth, and we worship the image of status and sensuality. Man, I was with my wife this week, what was it, Friday night, hun? and we went into Sylvia Park, which is a very unusual place for me to go. Whew. And some of the posters on these walls don't leave much to the imagination. Sensuality. And it's difficult to raise your kids. My wife goes to the gym and she'd see some of those videos and she'll talk to the person and say, I have some sons and I'm not so sure that's very good for their marriage. She's pretty bold. And she gets results. <laughs> good on you, huh? So it's difficult to raise kids with values when it's all right to walk, basically walk around in your underwear and twerking around the joint. And they think that's normal because they see it everywhere. The culture portrays the opposite values very often to what God portrays and wants us to have. We have to teach our kids the disadvantages of those values and why our values are more important. Notice what God says. Deuteronomy 4. For your own good. Don't sin by making an idol in any form at all. Any form. Not anything. Let me say this last part, which is hard. Not anybody. Nobody. Why? Three reasons. Number one, idols, I guarantee you this, and this is why God's, uh, I'm guaranteeing it on God's authority, not on mine, because idols will disappoint you. They always promise more than they can deliver. I love this in Jeremiah. Man, that guy, he had it down. He says, those who make idols are disillusioned because the gods they make are false and they are lifeless. They promise stuff that can't deliver, and they do not impart life. In fact, you end up becoming a slave to those idols. You know, you, you see it on TV or at the malls, as we say, wear our label, and you'll be popular. Buy our product, and you, then you'll be successful. Drink our beer, and you know, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> or buy our toothpaste, even. And then you'll have more sex appeal. Come. Well, it does help to have a fresh breath. I'll give you that. <laughs> they always promise, though, more than they can deliver. Now, here's a fact. Young people, listen carefully to this. When you expect any person or anything to solve all your problems, to guarantee your happiness, you will be disappointed. Anytime you put anyone or anything in the place of God, first place, you will always be disappointed. Or they promise happiness and contentment and joy and peace, but they don't deliver on an ongoing basis. The Bible says this, what's the use of an idol? It's only something man has made. What good does it do to trust it? The obvious implication is nothing. How many people have bought a car and thought, wow, if I could just get that car. And then something goes wrong with that car. And the cha attitudes change from, I can't wait to get it to, 
This is a nightmare. It's expensive. It's, I'm spending my life maintaining it, fixing it, paying for it. Or whether it be a house or this. See, what we think we own, we don't. It owns us. And the, to figure out the difference between the two is can you walk away from it? If you can, you're free. If you can't, it owns you. I can't do that because of this. What do you mean you can't? You mean, are you in bondage to that thing? Are you strapped to that thing? Are you financially chained to that thing? It's got you till you're 72 years old? B. Idols will also dominate you. If you don't watch out, they end up controlling your life. This is what I'm saying. The things that you think you own, they own you. Why? Because you're weeding them. You're washing them. You're insuring them. You're storing them. You're cleaning them. Be careful. Those things can choke out your real life. And life, the Bible says, do not be fooled. Your life does not consist of your possessions. If you don't watch out, they end up controlling you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 2, before you knew Christ, this is before, B.C., you were controlled by dead idols, junk, which eventually one day will end up in a trash heap, being renovated out in the inorganic rubbish. Be careful. Before you knew Christ, you were controlled by dead idols who will always lead you astray. Notice the two eventual effects. The thing you love more than God will begin to control you. And once, one word that we sometimes use for idols today, it's not the only one, there's many, but one of them, which in my family, I've had personal experience with. One of them was the idol of alcohol. Addictions. But you know what? It's not just alcohol or drugs, as Pat, Dad, with the alcohol, Pat, with the alcohol and drugs. But addictions can come in different forms too. You can be addicted to work. First, here's a question. Can you stand up to the boss and say no? If he's got control over you, you need to get some boundaries there. You can be addicted to sex. We have a pandemic Pornography addiction here in New Zealand. I was just reading the latest New Zealand statistics on that. It is shocking, and that affects some of you in this room. Men and women, and you know who you are, and God knows who you are. This is affecting us here in this building. You can be addicted to other things. Media, it runs your life. First thing you do, as I said many times, pick up the phone, and you're on that so many hours. Eventually, it runs your life. It dominates. It controls your life. Your emotions are affected by how many likes you get, what comments you get there. You're up when they're happy and they're down when it's not. Second, notice it says there you'll be led astray. And this is a very important point. Idols cause you to lose your perspective. Have you lost your perspective? How many people do I know who have, through the lure of a promotion or more money, were led to neglect their families at a crucial time in their kids' lives? And therefore, they've become emotionally distant. 
to their kids. Or the promise of riches. People fire out their integrity. Or for the profit motive, they threw away their convictions. I was talking to three partners in the firm yesterday who fallen victim to this one. You may never have realized this, but here's the important point. If you allow a person in your life to so control your life by their approval or their disapproval, and you allow them to control you and choose what's right for you, even if it's the wrong thing, that is not just called codependency, it's called idolatry. It's making that other person's voice of greater weight than God's. And the number one way I know to break codependency is to one, put God first in your life, and two, give him your ultimate devotion, not to anybody else. That's not girlfriend or boyfriend. That's not husband or wife. It is God and God alone. Now, if you don't put God first in your life and give him your ultimate devotion, your idols will disappoint you. They will dominate you. And number three, idols, this is a strange word, but I had to find another D, they will deform you. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, they're going to warp. They're going to change you. And you will lose your uniqueness. You'll be just going with the flow. God made you unique, not to follow the crowd. You see, because you can't become like the things you value most. Psalm 115 verse 8 says this, Those who make idols will become like them, and so will those who trust in them. You will become whatever, like whatever is first place in your life. And our, our desirous Christians is to become more like Jesus. So, implication, reserve the number one spot for God and him alone. One day, a rich young yupster rocked up to Jesus and he said, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life, Lord? And the Lord, having perfect knowledge of this guy's heart, and by the way, don't misquote this. To other people he said different things, but to this one guy, the issue in his heart was his materialism and his money. For him, that was a big, that was the one thing that was before him and God, in between them. And so Jesus goes straight to the point for this guy. And he says, for you, mate, your problem is this. Different for person B or C or D. But for you, the God of mammon is number one in your life. And not me. And this guy then did this thing. Well, we sung about today, counting the cost. He counted the cost. And he goes, ha, ha, ha. And unfortunately and very sadly, he chose very poorly. And he walked away from Jesus because what Jesus asked of him, he was not willing to give. And that was his choice. Notice, Jesus did not run after him. That's a free choice. And for some reason, God chooses to respect that free choice. His idol was his bank account. Kimberly and I, at 33 years old, were challenged on that. I had a very successful job, a great job. And God says, I want you to leave the lot. This is just me. It may be different for you, or you, or you. But for me, it was, will you leave it all? 
And back then, a six-figure salary was a decent number. It was a long time ago. I said, of course. What is this? My wealth is in the cross. What does this mean? My mum just went to heaven not long ago. All that she ever owned, gone. Most of it given away. You don't take any of that with you. He goes straight to the heart of the issue. For you, he said, you've got another God in your life. If you really want to follow me, give up that what is now number one and put me in number one. What is it today that you need to give up? What is it that you're holding on to and hanging on to that prevents you from becoming what God wants you to be and what he wants you to do? Well, I know this relationship isn't right, but I don't want to give it up. Or for you, maybe it's a habit that you know, that you know, that you know is wrong. Or maybe it's a career that's taking every hour that God sends and it's out of bounds. I'm all for working hard. There is nobody who probably likes to work. I just like to go for it. <laughs> but you need to have boundaries around those things. Any strength, friend, overextended becomes a weakness. Hard work is a very good strength. If you overextend it, watch out. You're going to do damage to those around you. Ambition is good. Unbridled ambition has shattered more families than I know. Pursuing the corporate ladder. It can become an idol. A habit can become an idol. A hobby can become an idol. Oh, no, can't do that for God because my, my golf, my badminton, my squash, my tennis is more important. How much time do you give to those things compared to what you give to God? You have to answer that question, not me. I have to answer my own questions. So if God tells you to give something up, and you can't or you won't, you don't own it, it owns you, and to you that's an idol. To me that's an idol. The Bible says a lot of things about that, but anyway. Have you ever thought, for example, when it comes to money, how big a $100 bill is when you give it to God, and how small it is when you give it to pack and save? <laughs> ever thought that? Whoa! like a family went to church in the car actually on the way back from church in the car and the dad was moaning on the top of his lungs and his kids were listening ah oh, well the music was too loud the sermon was too long and of course this is America because the choir was out of tune and it was too hot and carries on griping and the little kid seven years old in the back seat says well he pipes up he says well dad I didn't think it was such a bad deal for a buck I know many of you watch the Indiana Jones movies, but there's a movie called The Last Crusade. And one of the scenes, the last scene, when they're fighting the Holy Grail, there's an earthquake. I don't even remember. And the earth splits and this woman falls inside. She's been trying to get that Holy Grail and she falls down the crevasse. And she's holding on to this, to the thing they've been trying to, the Holy Grail they've been trying to get there for a long time. And Indy says, let it go. It's not worth your life let it go and she wouldn't and she ends up falling and she goes down after the wrong thing because she wouldn't let it go you see because idols they will distract you idols will dominate you idols will disappoint you and they'll eventually destroy you like it did to that woman 
Bible says here in Jeremiah 2, 5, they worshipped worthless things and became worthless themselves. Strong words from Jeremiah. So for your own good, friends, don't let anything get first place in your life. Not your career, not your dream, or not your girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife or mum or dad. Yeah. Keep me first. Now, the flip side of this, the second principle, is don't have any idols. The second one is worship me. Worship only God. How does this apply, though, in families? Hmm. Well, have you ever heard anybody say, oh, I worship the ground she walks on, or he worships the ground that she walks on? God says, on the other hand, worship only me. Worship is to give my highest love and devotion. That's what worship is. And only God deserves my highest loyalty. Because no person, no career, nothing, only God, because he made me. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people are more like this. Let's read this together. Let's read this. Many exchange the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve what God has created instead of the... It's bizarre to me that intelligent, so-called rational people will worship all sorts of crazy things, give their top devotion to that. Some put nature right up there, and they're worshiping creation rather than the creator. Some of them don't even go to church because they think that's the way to worship God. Then you've got everybody from the radical environmentalists who are worshipping trees and stars and crystals and all sorts of crazy things. Why in the world would people do such ridiculous things? Like the, 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 the Word of God says they're worshipping the creation rather than the creator. Three reasons and motiva- um, motivations that I think that people, that they're behind idols. Why people want to make God into the form that they can bow down to. Well, firstly, if I can put God in a statue, or if I can put him in a place like, you know, uh, God is only at church, or I can put him in a crystal, or something like that, then I can know exactly where God is, because he's limited by space and time. Now, that is a problem, because it immediately attempts to limit God's location, which is, of course, ridiculous. And if I don't want God to be around something that I am doing, which I know is wrong, I just leave him behind. You see, because that way, I've got him under my control. Secondly, it's an attempt to reduce his power and his size. I would proffer to you, we need to upsize God massively. But when they do this, they're trying to make God more manageable. And they reverse Genesis 1.27, where he says, let us make man in our image. By the way, did you notice the reference to the Trinity there? Let us make, let us, plural, make man in our plural image. Now we say, let us make God in our image. The way we want him to be. People say this like this. Well, my idea of God is dot, 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 dot. I want to say, when people say, what made you the authority? Where's the evidence of that? Just because you think God is a certain way does not mean to say it is right. 
you had better know the real facts. What you're actually doing is shaping your own God to your own standards that fits with your overall worldview. And why do we do that? Because it's much easier to change our view of God, an image of God, than it is to change me and my heart. So, if God says, well, real clear, here it is. We're going to come to that later on in a bit more detail. It says this. What's hard to understand about this? Do not commit adultery. Very clear. Mark Twain said, it's not the things I don't understand about the Bible that worry me. It's the things I do understand, and they convict my heart. So if God says don't commit adultery, and they don't like that, they change your image of God and say, well, I don't think God cares about that. You know, he kind of winks at that. That is a lie. It is a misrepresentation, and it will lead to deception. God never winks at immorality. So a lot of people change their theology because they can't justify their lifestyle in any other way. Well, here's another one. Here's another here's a big one. Well, pornography is not really immoral because I'm not doing it. Really. That's the thinking of a lot of people in this world. Adults often imagine a concept of God in their image, so he will justify their lifestyle. So we want God in our lives, but, but, and there's a big but here, we want him in controllable quantities, small pre-measured doses. We don't want to get out of control. We want God just enough to bless me, but not too much to run my life. What we really want is a genie in the Bible. Mistake. Three, when you have an idol, the worshiper has more control than the one being worshipped. That's the third reason why people do this. A lot of people want a God that can manipulate. Reminds me of a little boy. We just had Christmas. Who runs up to his mom and says, Mom, Mom, I'd love a bicycle for Christmas. And he says, well, you know, you should go pray about that and ask God about it. So he decided to write a letter to God. First line of the letter, Dear Jesus, I need a new bicycle because I've been perfect last year. He goes, hmm, that doesn't sound too good. That's probably stretching it a bit in the trash. Second try, new piece of paper. Dear Jesus, if I get a new bike, I will eat all my vegetables, including broccoli and the peas and Brussels sprouts. Ooh. Thought about it for about 30 seconds, didn't like the idea then. Suddenly, though, a better idea popped into this little seven-year-old's mind. He goes into the living room, and he grabs a family statue of Mary, and wraps in a towel and puts it under his bed. And he starts a new letter. Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again... I know many adults who attempt exactly the same thing with God. They try to manipulate God. God, you owe me this. God, you owe me health. You owe me wealth. You owe me a pain-free comfort, a comfortable life with no dramas. Friends, we don't demand or manipulate God. 
we worship him only. Now, there are three benefits of worshiping God and putting him first in our lives. Number one, the first one, or A, it will delight me. When you put God first in your life and you love him first, God says you'll experience the fulfillment in your life that you've been looking for and all these other things. No other person will give you this. No other experience, no other cruise, no other trip, no other promotion will give you this. Read this next verse with me from Psalm 37 verse 4. It says this. Seek your happiness in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. If I seek my happiness in other things rather than the Lord, then... I'm in trouble. However, Romans 10, 1 says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Jesus never disappoints. You can't beat the real thing. Second, when I worship God alone, he delivers me. He gives me freedom. The Bible says, well, you'll experience freedom like you have never known before if you put God first. Because people's opinions don't matter. Only his one does. You're not trying to please 37 people. Just one. That makes life simple. Your peace goes up and your stress goes down. Notice Jesus said this. If you obey my teaching, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free from lies and going down dead ends. Why is it when I put God first in my life, I don't have to worry or be controlled by other people. I tell you why, because it sets you free from the expectations of others. And other people's expectations are often not reasonable. I'm set free also from my past. I'm no longer haunted by my past regrets for things I've done in the past. I am set free in the present. I have a new power. Look at my brother. Sliding down is like a slippery slope to hell. And it doesn't matter which drug rehabilitation programs. Countless numbers of drug rehab places have been in. He was still going down, doobie-doo, down, down. Nearly died four or five times. Many of you have heard the story. Nothing we or the medical professional or counselors or anybody could do. It was hopeless. Yet, the moment he surrendered his life thoroughly to Jesus... He arrested his fall, and he saw an incredible redemptional lift. Power to break habits and addictions. And then in the future, he gives you freedom not to be scared to die. Many Christian brothers and sisters around this world are martyred for their faith. But it's something that you should look at every now and again to sober us up about some of the... Have a listen tomorrow morning to the prayers that you pray tomorrow. See how many of those are self-centric and see how many of those are God-centric. Real freedom. The Bible says if the Son sets you free, you'll be really free. See, it'll mature me. You'll become like what you love. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. Whatever you love, you become like. If you love money, you will become more and more materialistic. And you'll measure everything was, how does this affect the equation? If you love yourself, you'll be more and more selfish. You'll become more and more selfish. It's all about me. The whole world revolves around me. And often, 
Selfishness and materialism go, go together. They run together. If you worship Christ, you become more and more like him. That's why when we come on Sunday morning, how I want to encourage you to engage in worship. Now, for guys like me, it's not on the outward. But by the time Ben's finished, I'm sweating. And not even in, the, even in winter, my hands are hot because I've been clapping furiously and I, I'm breaking up a sweat. But that's just me. That's not you. That's not the definition of how to worship. But hopefully on the inside, there's also an, in, an intensity there where I am focusing on those words and giving God, worshiping him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and body and strength. The more I worship Christ, the more I become like him. Now, some of you are saying, Ian, we are Christians. We don't have idols in our home. You're right. Most of you don't have mental idols, but you do have mental idols. It's easy to have some false image of God. Some of you have got this false image of God being an unpleasable parent. Straight A's. You get one B and it's not good enough. That is not an accurate, that's a, that's a, mis, well, it's a caricature of God. It's a, a terrible one. Some of you, on the other hand, have an image of God as a benevolent grandfather who turns a blind eye to what's happening, to the things you know are wrong. That's not true either. There's nothing that escapes his attention. All of those are false images. They're idols. And God wants you to know him really as he is. Now, how can we know what God is really like? Well, Jesus came to earth in the form of man. He's God wrapped in flesh. He was always God, always has been God. And he came to earth in flesh so that we can relate to what he's like. That is what God is like. Look at this. In Colossians 1.5, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is. You know, we want to know what God looks like? Simple. Just look at Jesus. Now, one guy named Philip came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's that clear. Don't let people complicate that. When you look at Jesus in his life, you, that's how you get to know God. And in building a strong family that's going to last and a strong personal life, You've got to settle these first two issues. Number one, put God first in every area of your life. We talked about that last week in detail. You can pick that up on the podcast, go to the website, or grab it through your phone. And today, get to know the real God by getting to know Jesus Christ. Now, if you haven't done that yet, I challenge you and urge you to get to know him today. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Friends, God is never impressed with eloquent words, but he is always looking at the heart. And today in your heart, if you have never done this before, why wouldn't you say this very simply? Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I do want to get to know you. And I want to follow you. I want you to be number one in my life. 
Today, Lord, I again have realized and recognized that I am a sinner. And I want to ask for your forgiveness. Today, I'll be prepared to say that Jesus Christ is your son. And that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord. That means he gets to call the shots. From this day forward, I ask you to guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the powerful, matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody said...